Welcome to Money Mastery with Marshy. This podcast is for you if you're someone who wants to develop the mindset, the skill set, and the character attributes needed to grow yourself, grow your wealth, and ultimately master your money. I look forward to going on this journey with you. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to episode number nine of Money Mastery with Marshy. This is your host, Daniel Marshall. And today, I'm going to be bringing you our first guest interview, and I'm really, really honored to have this man on here today because I'm very privileged to call him a mate and a mentor. I've known him for the last two and a half years, and he's an absolute gun when it comes to money. Now, this fella, just a couple of things. He's an author of two books, which I've got in front of me. His latest book is Money Buys Happiness, great title, by the way. And the first one, which is actually how I initially got introduced to him, was Money Grows on Treats. Great book as well. So he's the author of two books. He's got an award-winning podcast, Money Grows on Treats as well. So if you're not following his podcast, make sure you check it out and hit follow as well. He's built a seven-figure side hustle from his online business with his wife, Alicia. He's built a seven-figure share portfolio in his 30s. And he's also running a wildly successful financial education and coaching business. And that's, we're only scratching the surface of what this fella has done in his life. So it's with great pleasure, Lloyd James Rock, uh, Ross, welcome to Money Mastery with Marshy. Hey, I'm stoked to be with Marshy to talk about money. How good is this? Well done. Love that uh, you're cranking up an amazing podcast here, man. So super excited to be here. Thanks for having me as a guest. I'm equally uh, honored to be on here and to be chatting with you it's it's great what a cool journey so yeah let's go well the reason i wanted to have you on first floyd i've got a lot of great speakers lined up but you were one of the ones that really inspired me to get this podcast up and running initially and i think it's probably cool that i share a little bit about how i actually got to know you because it was two and a half years ago and it all started with this book money grows on trees which i've got in front of me right here mm. Now, you know, me as a financial coach, I'd been following you on Instagram for it was probably about six or so months. And I really wanted to build a connection with you, a relationship with you. And I was like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get Lloyd? How am I going to get Lloyd's attention? So it was a Sunday evening and I ended up buying your, your book, Money Grows on Trees. And I sped read through that bad boy on a Sunday evening while watching Married at First Sight on the couch with Casey. And straight away, you know, I just resonated with everything that you said in that book. You know, the things that your parents would say were very similar to what my dad would say. And I reached out to you on Instagram. And next thing you know, we're on a Zoom call a couple of days later and it really kicked off from there. And you've taught me so long, so much along the journey. So I just wanted to to share with the audience how powerful it is with social media these days to actually reach out to someone that you admire, build a relationship with them. And next thing you know, you're actually doing work with them. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's a money mastery move though, Marshy, because... Your network is determined by your net worth and what you've done there is showcase uh, the simplicity, the leverage of social media and how it can create connections and relationships and do business. Then you explain how to use reciprocity influence, which is one of Robert Cialdini's six weapons of influence, which is mm. you bought the book and you leaned in. <clears throat> we got on a call together, we chatted and um, we resonated. So it's like we leveraged Zoom at that point. That's technology. Mm. And then uh, we ended up getting into business together um, where we both leverage a, a cool side hustle business model. Um, and now leveraging each other's knowledge and learning, that's how these podcasts crea- are created because you share ideas and you, so you look at the way you scout up that, uh, interaction, I think is a really good money mastery lesson for all of your, your, your listeners, you know, to model, I think. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And Lloyd, you know, you've you've probably been one of my most powerful mentors on my journey so far. Even this morning, Lloyd, I'm actually in a Toastmasters comp tomorrow. And, <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And you were the you were the one who got me into Toastmasters and the story that I'm telling tomorrow is actually you're actually in the story, there's actually a photo yeah, of Yeah, come now. on. Yeah, about, remember when you, you know what you should do, you should Facebook live it. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, come maybe. on. Uh, put, do it. Just Facebook live it. Come on, well, it's, it's going to be so well, I'll watch it and I'll tag a well, few people in. It's funny because because in the story, it's kind of, I told the story about how you challenged me to play the piano at the Adelaide Airport, which was a big fear yes. of mine. Remember that? Yes, I remember. Yeah, so that's what I'm telling you about. And sometimes you just need that mentor, that someone to give you the little push to overcome your fears. Yes. i tell you one, one thing, mm. if I can. It's uh, My mentors have pushed me like that too. So it's just I'm just passing on the baton because <laughs> mm. I know that's yeah. what grows you. And it also gives you cool stories to share to in invigorate and motivate and inspire your clients and your people and your friends and your people around you you can do you do the same mm. thing so it's it's teaching people how to teach and so i think one of the things you could do in your talk at toastmasters is if you happen to facebook live it you get a, like a what do you call those things you put cameras on a, a tripod tripod yeah and get one and just get someone who's there to say hey can you before i just at, before i'm get introduced or whatever it is can you just push play on this facebook live and as you're doing the talk you would say, you know, in, in the mentor push and did this and this and this. And even even to this second, he's still doing it because he actually challenged me to Facebook Live this. And you can see at the mm. back of the room, there's a camera there. So I'm currently out of my comfort zone. You can see it in real life. And that would be so dynamic for people to see. Like, I bet no one's ever done that in a Toastmasters comp. I promise you. And the other thing I'll say is this. You've got to learn to break things. And I dare say that it's the first time they've ever seen that. They won't have any rules around it either. So it would be a fun mm wrecking experience and i'd challenge you to do it there you go well there well there you go the challenge has been set on me it's tomorrow <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna i can't say no i'm gonna have to accept I bet, the challenge. I bet you're really i bet you're really irritated you got me on the podcast today <laughs> <laughs> no it was divine timing that was obviously meant to happen so it's going to be another yeah. story that's what that's why I, I love overcoming fears as well because it is it's a story and you get to share that and totally. inspire someone else totally 100 percent. but lloyd this is enough about me this is about you we want to hear your story today and I want to hear your story of money mastery. Like, when was when was the moment in your life, Lloyd? Let's go. Let's go way back. Let's not leave out any details in this story today. Sure. When was the moment that you decided that you wanted to master your money or go on this journey? Um, when I was eleven, I remember my dad took me into the the lounge room area, and uh, he bent down. He sat me in the chair, and he bent down on one knee, and he looked at me, and he said. Mate, I just got to tell you something. I said, what? And he, 11. He said, we lost everything. I lost everything. And and we're in this nice house and he's a very successful guy. And and lost his entire business. <clears throat> like a, a $50 million business in 1996, gone. Mm. And built it from scratch himself from very poor beginnings. So it wasn't uh, handed to him, which is at 38 years of age. He's a dynamic. Yeah, mogul, insane, right? And he lost it all. Uh, it was stolen, effectively. And um, and I remember that. And, and we did, we went from that to very challenging financially as a family and so on without going into the details. And it was a complete flip. It was a 180 flip. And so to watch that go, be a part of that at 11, sort of experience that and see the the traumatic, the emotional roller coaster of that happening it was a very um, 
like I was observing. So I was like, oh, shivers, this money thing is very important. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so maybe it's ideal and, and effective. I, I felt like at a young age, I thought, you know, money gives you choice. You can buy things with it. I, there was power in that. And so I thought it would be remiss to not learn about it. So I was abreast of it. So like I, it wasn't taboo or anything like that in the household, but it's not like I got sat down and taught money by my parents. But it was – there was none of this – um my parents never had a broke mindset. Mm. They may have not had lots of money in their account at different times in their life. You know, like there's stories my mum will tell where she didn't, you know, it's like a hundred bucks left, what I'm going to do. But, but they never had a broke mindset. And I think that's where uh, it was. I never had, grew up with a bad <clears throat> program about money. It, it, mm. I could see what it could do. And if it was taken away, it sucked for sure. But I never blamed money for that. I always felt like we had the power to wield it. So I thought, you know what? Maybe I should start paying attention to this. So at a late age eleven, I um I started my own little car wash business in in the complex we lived in. And was sense. that inspired from what your dad said, like telling you about I that, or was it something different? I think it's what happens is it's not really about that because um my dad didn't say to me go to start a car wash business. I think it's kind of in your DNA. Like I look back at my grandparents and they owned and operated uh, country pubs and they're entrepreneurs. Mm. Bought, redid country pubs, ran them, did successful with them. Farm, like, and my dad's an entrepreneur, and my mum's entrepreneurial. She's she ran a shop. She, she. No, if you look at my background, it's not really a job descendancy. (laughs) So I think it's Mm. in you. It's probably in your bones. Like I wanted to go and see if I could make money in this car little car wash business. So I'd go and do these letterbox drops at eleven, see if I could get a client. You know, I think it was just Mm. fun, a game. That's kind of how it started, I think. I think it's just in so you. So you're doing letterbox drops at 11 years old to find customers for your car washing business. Yeah, and I was charging $5 for a car. And I remember I got my first client. He lived next door. Thankfully, he wasn't smart in <laughs> trouble. And he said, um, he said, oh, I can do this. I can go to the Boy Scouts and get my car done for $3. Dead set true story. They were doing it for 3 bucks. Yeah. This is in yeah, like 1993 or four or something. And uh, 1995, maybe. And um, and so back then, it was three bucks. I said, well, you better go to them and and get it done because I'm not doing it for three bucks. <laughs> I'll do it for five. He said, all right. Yeah. So I got, that was, a, that was an experience. You know, I think of these little experiences where it's like, know your worth and stand, you know, I think that that, that, that was the beginning of it all. And, and I it wasn't super successful. I had a few clients and made a bit of money, but it was this first experience of entrepreneurship, I think. How did, how did it feel at that young age to receive your first dollar or first $5 from something yeah, that you created? Yeah, it's super empowering, isn't it? But it, it's, I just, it was a simple way to make money. You provide a service and help solve, someone solve a problem. And I think it was very mm-hmm. clear to me that that's how you made money. It, mm-hmm. it, it didn't ever occur to me to go get a job at McDonald's. Mm. Like, I don't know about, we can get through the story, but I've only ever had a paycheck for four and a half years of my life. Four and a half An years, actual wage it. check. Yeah, never. Yeah. Like, actually, no, 3.8 years. That's it. 3.8. Yeah. Everything else has been commissioned, done. Like, even when I was at university, I would do, like, tree lopping, and I was cleaning this guy's pool, and, you know, I was doing all sorts of stuff to make money. I just felt like that was the simplest way. Um, I probably would have learned a lot if I had to work for McDonald's, but I just never really – I guess it never suited me, this whole mm. structured – structured wage thing so anyway that was my first experience at 11 and beyond that i think because my dad was always talking about business and stuff and i could overhear certain things and 
you know, I'd walk home from school. My mum had a little shop down the road and she'd sell secondhand clothes and I'd go to her shop and I'd just hang out there. I didn't do much. and But it just being around it, I guess, is a bit of osmosis as to what... Like, I remember going home one night, my parents in the evening were licking and stamping stamps onto cardboard for a tourism business to sell back to the business to get some extra cash. And I was mm. licking these stamps and they're like, oh, my dad's licking the stamp going, like, just working at nighttime together to make the extra cash. And I was like, oh, you know, that's what you got to do. So yeah. they're the lessons I think you pick up along the way. And that's pretty big because I guess most people are programmed to, to go to school, get an education and get a job. Whereas yeah. it seems like to me, just from what you experienced from your parents, what you saw, you're more programmed to to solve problems, to find problems and solve them. And that's how you actually can create money, create value for yeah. others. I felt that way and I felt like it was enjoyable and fun. And but I was not overly great at Like I didn't build this massive car wash business and sell it and exit it at 17 or any crazy stuff like that. It was still learning. But, but I was actually reprogrammed in university to then think like an employee. And then I was... Pro- programmed to get become a lawyer and then i was programmed to have a job and i was like what the and i remember it just felt completely out of alignment and i just never felt like i belonged there in a job and that's why I left. so how could what led you to to studying law and becoming a lawyer uh influential dad <laughs> like even though, even though he was more entrepreneurial yes yes i mean i think if you're an entrepreneur you look back at your life and think oh that was really tough <laughs> mm. that was brutally hard and i'm sure that my dad when it was building his insurance business from the age of 21, going out to the railroads at three or four o'clock in the morning, walking around the railroads, doing face-to-face selling of insurance policies and getting commission checks and being away from family. And like, it's not easy. And he had a a natural, uh, felt that maybe he had a natural gift for that, but he found it challenging. I'm sure he thought, far out, wouldn't it be cool if I just had a paycheck? Because he never got the opportunity to go to university. He dropped out of school in grade 10 like they usually did and finished school in grade 10. That's what they did back then. Hmm. And got a trade, you know, went into apprenticeship. And so I think they thought that far out would be so good if we just had a regular paycheck coming in, if we get paid far out, that would be, be oh. and I think that's probably what you want for your kids because you want them to be set up and secure and safe and da, 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 da. So I think you don't want, you don't want to thrust entrepreneurship onto them because it's brutal. It's way harder than a job. And so um, I think they try and protect you. So what happened to, I think is, you grade to grade 12 and everyone's talking about going to university. This is not 1999, 2000. Like this is not yeah. now. It's different. So that was the pathway to success. You go to university. So I did a pre-med degree, did a master's in business, wanted to get into medicine, put, put Rob back that. Didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Right? I was just, I, I couldn't find my place. Mm. And so I did a business degree and I did real estate, got into real estate, commercial sales and leasing, did, did leasing deals when I was 20, got my full real estate license. I was enjoying that. I was all right at that actually. And uh, I could have stayed on and done really well in that industry. But I actually end up, uh, some, a friend spoke to my dad and he heard I was, you know, relatively okay at study and clever enough to do it. And he said, oh, well, you know, Lloyd should do a law degree. And my dad's like, yeah, that sounds good. You know, like influenced probably by someone, mm. a friend yeah. who was just throwing, throwing these words around. And dad's like, why don't you do a law degree? And of course, I listened to my dad. And so I was like, oh, that sounds like, well, I didn't know what I wanted to be. So I thought, you know, okay, like I'll go do that. Like that's all I knew. So I was like, oh, I'll go do that. That sounds cool. So at 23, no. At 21, I started my law degree and I graduated with at 23 with a JD, a Juris Doctors on the wall back. You can see it. You can see all the degrees I just spoke about. There's, there's a few degrees. For those of you who might watch the video, there's a few degrees back there. <laughs> yeah. So I got all accumulated these degrees and they're heavyweight. Yeah. It's just, uh, I thought far out. Like, and then, and then, and then I, I became a lawyer and, and I could have probably, if I stayed there too, been successful there as well. I mean, if you have traits of discipline and you have 
ambition inside of you and you have this desire to grow money and understand what it does, you choose an industry. I'm sure you can, if you have those traits, you can be successful at anything. Like I could have been, I was successful to an element in real estate. I was, I was, I could have been super successful in law if I had just had a good mentor and stayed there, but I never did, thankfully. And then I could have been, um, I, I had this job when I was, I got out of that and went to this job in Abu Dhabi and I started building, I was a project manager at 20, three on the formula one circuit in Abu Dhabi. Like that's a I pretty, pretty big gig for a 23 year old. Huge. Massive. I remember, yeah. I remember going on, like I got this job, flew out of here and I didn't even know where Abu Dhabi was on the map. And I flew into this place and they gave me this huge 50,000 Durham furniture package and sign on bonus. And it was wild. And, and, and I remember I had no experience in, in construction. <laughs> So I've gone on to this project, the sixth largest project in the world, Formula One circuit, yeah. Ferrari World Theme Park. It's called Yas Island if you go and Google it. That was the project. And and I thought, I'm 23, going in this car on the way over this bridge with this hard hat on, thinking, oh, my God, I'm so far out of my depth here. It's just gnarly. And so mm-hmm. anyway, there's a few more steps in the story as to how that happened. But Well, so it's what I was going to wanted to pull up there. So I guess the big thing was even though your dad was entrepreneurial, he, yep. he wanted you to be safe, have that steady income of, of the job, you know, having that high paying degree. And that's so you were influenced by your dad and the people who influenced him. I, I was, yeah, because I didn't, I didn't have my own vision. So whenever you don't have your own vision, you mm. borrow someone else's or you listen to theirs or, yeah, they have a vision for you. It sounds pretty good. And by all means, it wasn't mm. bad advice. It was just advice. And so yeah. I was like, well, I have no grand plans in my head, so I'm not too sure. So I'll just go with what my dad, who's super successful, will say like that's how it works and so i didn't have any like personal i didn't understand enough about the world to know what i wanted to do so i was led and that's okay you can be you can follow but at a certain point in time when you do feel like what you want to do you've got to follow your heart and that's what happened to me in the end thankfully but it's just a a piecemeal process until your mid-20s 30s 40s sometimes 50s until you figure out what you want to do with your life and i kept moving around until i found something i liked and it suited me hmm. so, so you felt out of, out of alignment for quite a, a period of time there lloyd well it sounds good doesn't it 23 year old over in formula one i mean by all accounts what an opportunity and anyone would yeah. die for that opportunity it's huge because i'm sitting in the middle east like tax-free like huge op- on these big pro like with great i had a great mentor there too it like it, it was the world was at my feet like I just had to bend down and pick it up. But what happened was you get into the employee machine. So these big companies aren't always run by very clever people. They're a bit of a shit show, mm. to be honest. And mm. and you get it's bureaucratic and it's political and it's and it's nepotistic and and it's construct it's it's very rigid and you have to clock in, clock off, and you have to do your commute and you have to rules bay it and I and over a number of years I, I just felt I didn't belong. That's all. I just knew. Mm. And all these engineers there were like getting in their engineering zone and they're in the office and doing all this. No, I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> I was like, this is terrible. And I stayed there for long enough to figure it out if it was terrible enough and I want to save some money. And eventually I just went, oh, I knew in my heart, I was like, there's something else calling me to go and do something else. And I don't think it's this. So I resigned. Mm. So what happened so before that? Because then obviously you were feeling out of alignment. It wasn't for you. Yeah. Was there anything else going on in the background that was already starting to change your thinking and starting to move you towards something else? 
Yeah, I read this book. Um, I mean, I was always reading books. So when I when I left school, I remember when I went to London on a gap year. I know, I know. I did my first degree, went to Europe on a year off. I did that too. Went around Europe. When I was nineteen. I there you go. Okay. Yeah, when I was nineteen, I did my first degree. When I was nineteen, I went around Europe, and by myself. And then, um, and I read books. I was reading Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad. I read The Richest Men in Babylon. I was reading through these books as I was traveling. And um, came back, did my master's degree, finished that, got a law degree, became a lawyer, did a bit of law, left, went over to Abu Dhabi, actually went to Sydney, interviewed for Macquarie Bank, went to second round interviews for equity sales, and then Bear Stearns collapsed and they weren't really recruiting, so I didn't I didn't really get a job there, thankfully. Went to Abu Dhabi, got the job with Aldar, property's biggest developer in the world, did that, and then what I was doing then was I was listening to audiobooks on the way to the work, driving, because I was still looking for something, right? I was looking. In the back of my head, I'm like, what else is there? And so I started listening to these books and I read um, Tim Ferriss's 4-Hour Workweek. Great book. That's 17 years old now, that book. And I read it and it just resonated. I thought, oh my goodness, that's me. And so I thought to myself, okay, now I've got, I can see it's doable. Now, how do I do it? So that was the book that really changed your life, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Yeah, I think you're always influenced by books. So like The Richest Man in Babylon and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, they influence me to understand that you don't work hard to make money. You work hard to buy assets that then make money. That made sense. Mm. And the richest man in Babylon taught me pay yourself first. So they're the two big underlying lessons in those two books that I understood. So when I was making money, I was saving money. Yeah. And I was, and I wasn't getting into debt. I mean, I drove a Toyota Yaris. I was renting them. I went through seven of them back and forth to Abu Dhabi from Dubai. It's an hour and a half drive every day. So it's three hour commute in Toyota Yaris's. At 170 kilometers an hour on the highway every single day. Mm. There was people getting killed on that. It's it's dangerous. And I went through seven of them. So I was just burying these cars into the ground. So I wasn't really spending a lot of my money. And it was tax-free at the time because I was a tax resident of Dubai, really. And so uh, I would save my money based on the lessons I learned from these books. Now, I didn't know what I was going to save it for, but I knew I wanted to buy assets. And so I had this cash saved up and it did two things. Number one, it gave me the first bit of money to invest in my first stocks and shares. I'll explain mm-hmm. how that happened in a second. But also it gave me the cash to resign. You know, if you tell read us that about, first, Tell us about that because I've had my same experience as well. I'd love to hear what, how empowering was that to have that cash to actually give you the opportunity to make that choice? Yeah, I mean, that if you read the first chapter of my book, Money Buys Happiness, I talk about that story. And I talk about leaving that head office in Abu Dhabi, turning around and looking at that head office and thinking, thank God I've, I've been able to buy myself out of this mm. job. And so, and I went into an industry in real estate sales. I had no experience in it, but I knew it was going to level me up. And I had, a ch- I had an opportunity um, to, to, to really do something different. And it was very risky. Mm-hmm. The move was very risky. Like no one would have made that move, like very mm-hmm. few. But I wasn't looking for money. I was looking for skills. I was looking for adventure. I was looking for a different life. And so, yes, it was very helpful to have the cash. <laughs> that's why I no, like that. Oh, that's such a big different mindset that you had there because most people were, were program conditioned to look for the highest paying job. Like growing up where I grew up, that's everyone was just looking for that, you know, myself included. But you, what yes. you said there, you know, you were looking for the skills that you could develop. You were looking for the adventure to, to really yes. grow you. Yeah, because I, no one had made more money than my old man. Mm-hmm. Very few people have, actually. 
he's a money making genius. Now he would tell you it openly too. He's like, ah, probably could manage, manage a little bit differently and could have you know, done some things with assets. And he did a few right things too. We got dusted up a couple of times, GFC. And then like, it's a very intrepid path, this money journey. But, but he at that time was like, he was king to me. And I was like, well, why would I listen to anyone else? So I was like, well, I just want to go get into business with him. But I had to earn my way there. I never really, mm. it's not like I had, you could grow up as a young kid and hey, son, come into the Burnley business. It wasn't like that. Because yeah. when you're talking to clients face-to-face, you have to have some level of experience and age on you. Otherwise, they don't take you serious. I could never join his business, ever. Mm. I wanted to, and I was like, far out. And I used to go into meetings with him and sit there and listen to him. I used to get as, around that as much as I could. And my other siblings, incidentally, didn't do that. I have three other siblings, oh, but I did. Because I, I guess I'm just wired with high ambition. Mm. And so I always wanted to do that with my dad, but I never got a chance. So when I saved up this cash and I turned 28 and I had a bit more age on my side and I had this, I could actually buy my way into the business in terms of fund myself for six to 12 months so mm-hmm. I could get a commission sale, which is what I had to do because there's no wages. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I could buy my way in and that's what I did. So I left Abu Dhabi, repatriated home with my now wife, Alicia. We came back to Australia and I got into my first small business and that was an experience and a half. Now, now, before we dive into that experience, Lloyd, because I'm really curious to hear that from jumping from the employee to that, had yeah. you already started your investing journey at this stage? Yeah, so when I was in Dubai, I was um, living there and working in Abu Dhabi. Obviously, I was listening to books and I did have some cash and I wanted to actually invest. So I actually found this guy, I was referred to this guy, financial advisor guy, and I went and had a catch up with him at um, one of these hotels in Dubai. You can see the Burj Al Arab in the background. We had coffee there. And he said, oh, Lloyd, I'll take your, your money and you can just put into this what's called a um, a front-end loaded fund. And it's like I was like, I didn't know anything about stocks back then. I was like, yep, sounds good. I just want to put my money to work. I just knew from those books that I read that I had to put my money to work. Yeah. And so he said, great. And so he did that. This was um, post-GFC, so all the all the stuff had kind of happened, probably 2011. And um, I gave him, or well, 2010, I gave him the money and he would, like I'd put the money into this fund. And... Um, that was all okay, but it didn't go anywhere. It didn't, 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 I didn't know what I owned. I didn't know it was in mining stock. It was in all sorts of different things. It was funds of funds of funds, fully diversified. And by all accounts, just did not perform at all. Went down a bit. It was closed in, so I couldn't take it out because I get penalized. And I was like, fire it. What am I doing? Like, I don't even know what I own. And so what actually happened was I ended up taking all the money out, paying the penalty. Um, and I thought to myself, I can't outsource this financial management stuff. I can't outsource it. I have mm. to know this. I need to know this. And so I thought it's a weakness. And so what I decided to do was I decided to do two things. Number one, increase my knowledge and skills in money. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. stupidly, uh, I was talking to one of the financial analysts at work and I noticed that people had this CFA charter after their name, CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst. And it's now more sought after than MBA. And I thought, that's cool. I want to be a chartered fan. Like, what if I could learn to be as the best with that stuff. So I bear, I, I I got my head down into finance and I signed up for this program called the CFA Charter. It's the hardest hardest program in finance in the world. In fact, it's the hardest thing you'll probably ever do academically in the world, I think. it's even, It was even harder probably than the medical GAMSAT exam I sat. So really challenging. And it's self-study. And you study for a year, 12 subjects on money, equities, financial, like math. It's flipping hard. And you study for 20 hours, 20 hours a week. Yeah, self-study mm. in your own room while your friends are out partying, you're sitting there studying. I took annual leave. I took weekends. 
and it's a six hour long exam once a year. It was like the boot camp for finance. It's like the Navy SEALs for finance. Mm. It's like hell week, right? That's what it's like. Mm-hmm. So I did that and you have to pass all three levels and each level is six hours exam, closed book. And if you fail, you have to wait a year. Brutal. So I was like, oh, flipping going to this and all the books come. I thought, what have I done? And I failed. I studied for six months. The first level is every six months. So that's okay. So I studied for it. I failed the first time. Studied again. I failed again the second. That's a year in and I failed twice. Mm. You know, all that study and all that time. Mm. And then I finally, I remember I passed and I was elated. It was just this experience of like, I know how to win now. And then I did level two, which is the hardest level. And I passed that first go. And I remember even just here on this bed, jumping off the bed and being excited. That was a few years ago now. And I went to level three and um, I failed level three. And I'm now I can now reset level three. And once I have level three, it puts me in the top category of, you know, financial qualifications in the world. But I did that to actually increase my knowledge. But what I also did was I didn't outsource to a financial planner. I said, I can't do that. So I, I also didn't just do academic qualifications. I actually picked up a book in an airport called The Snowball by, mm-hmm. by Alice Schroeder, which is about Warren Buffett's story. And at that point, oh, you got to remember my background was like, my dad has been real estate. I've got a full real estate license. I did commercial yeah. sales and leasing. I've run a property investment planning business with my dad for seven years. I'm a pro- I've specialized in property law and work for a property lawyer. I went into real estate development and did residential master planning and development and feasibility studies for uh, projects in Dubai. Like my whole background is property and real estate. Mm. And so, and so it's a wonder people say, what's so weird? And it is, but I, I happened to pick up this book. And at that time I thought that Warren Buffett and all these share people were just like magicians, weird people. Like, like I thought there was all that charting and trading and I had no idea because all I understood was movies and when I read that book, The Snowball by Alice Schroeder, it was like, it was like I found the model. Like I found my thing. Like I just, it clicked with me instantly. The way How old were you at the, at the point, Lloyd? What, what age were you at this point? Probably 26. 26, okay. Yeah. And so I'm like, far out, I get this. Buying undervalued businesses, buying a dollar for 50s. I just... The lessons in that book and Warren Buffett, he just became an instant forever mentor. And I've learned more from about investing from him than anyone else ever, just through his books and teachings and everything. And and so it just instantly clicked. And I thought, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. That's my asset choice. That's how I, that's where I'm going to put my money. I'm going to control it. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to do it. And so that was complete. So doing the CFA charter taught me how to be an analyst so I can pick up a company's financials and I can whip through them pretty quick and understand very fast whether that's even worth looking at any further. And so the skills that I learned, see, I didn't get paid for those skills. I sat there in my desk in my room while my friends were in Brazil partying, my roommates, and I sat there for hours and hours a week for years learning it. Mm. I didn't get I think paid. This is, I think this is so important, Lloyd, because like right now, if you look at where you are in your life here, you know, you almost appear like the overnight success because you've, you've had so much success, but people don't hear the backstory. They don't hear all of these sacrificed hours that you did in your 20s to get the knowledge, the skill set, the mindset that you now have. That, no. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think back and I think far out. Like, if I could change things, I wouldn't have done it. Like, I don't know. I, I, I like my life, so I, I don't think I'm going to change anything. But, yeah. but I, I, I definitely do things the long way. Like, I, I'm really not good at shortcuts. I don't think I am. And I think that 
I was okay with the brutality of that because I knew that, you know, I was sitting in that room, I just knew. I was like, I had these doubts. I'm like, really hope that this pays off. But, <laughs> but, but, but I, I know one thing I knew innately in my bones, I thought, no one's going to do this, what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I knew that because everyone thought I was an idiot. And so they said, mm-hmm. you mean you're crazy? What are you doing? And even this financial analyst at work said, Lloyd, I wouldn't do this, man. Like I've done it. He goes, it's brutal. Don't do it. And so everyone's telling me not to do it. And that, of course, initiates this adventure gene in me. And I just love uh, it. It sounds like danger. It has this, I like it. I'm like, oh, that sounds, maybe I should look into it if people are saying stay away. And so yeah. I'm glad I did it because it definitely taught me the the parameters. But when my tutor who's helping me pass these exams, I mean, it co- I probably spent twenty or $30,000 just to do those exams and get the tutoring. Like it wasn't, it's not cheap. Mm. And so like I was all self self-investment in knowledge. And I remember he said, I said to him, Hey, but no, do you do much investing? He's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not that good at it. And I was thinking, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like teach him. I'm like, ah, maybe I can, maybe. This. So that taught me a lot of like practical analytic skills. So like how to analyze and how, it really did taught me a ton. And I, it was amazing. And, and I ended up not finishing level three because I ended up starting a little business to make money to actually invest in stocks. And that's what happened. So I did take a lot of those skills and knowledge that I developed for sure. But then I learned how to create a business to then make the money to apply it to buying stocks. And that's what I did. So I remember the first stock I bought was, yeah, probably when I was 26. And why Why was it? Because obviously your dad, you, you had the background in so much real estate, but you read the book, The Snowball, and you learned about Warren Buffett. Like, What was it about that that appealed to you more than the real estate where you already had so much knowledge? Well, I didn't, um, probably a couple of things. One, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a GFC programmed person. So when I was 23, I came out into those interviews at Macquarie Banking. I flew to Sydney with no money and uh, a little bit of money, but you know, like <laughs> I had to get a job. And so I flew to Sydney to get these these interviews going. I'd fly to Sydney from Macquarie Bank interview, then I'd fly home, then I'd go, I moved there. So I need to be joining on the spot, move there, talk to recruiters. I was doing networking. I was pounding the pavement. I was going up for it. And and that's the year that Bear Stearns collapsed in 2008, August. And mm. this is the largest financial catastrophe since the Great Depression. And I'm sitting there at 23 trying to get a job in finance. And, and that was just the nature. And so what I saw from that point was real estate fell by 50% in major cities. And so you got to remember that we suffer from different bias, psychological biases when it comes to decision making and so forth. So my bias was set, my program was set then by holy crap, real estate can really substantially ruin people. And I saw people ruined. I know a guy who lost $400 million and got dusted up completely from GFC. I saw my dad's business get decimated and his whole portfolio get... Like, it really ruined people. Like, it, it mm. people, people that don't even... Like, young people don't even know what the GFC is. Now, I saw all that, the wreckage. Mm. And so I am now programmed with that. And mm. so I thought far out, I don't want to leverage up real estate because that is what's actually sending people bankrupt. And so ever since then, I've been apprehensive to go into lots of debt to own real estate. So that program really had an impact. But also when I was working in Dubai, you don't actually own real estate, you own a lease. You have a 99 year lease. And it was a very, I, I also, in 2008, nine, the real estate market in Dubai went from the craziest thing ever, a bubble to popping and people getting absolutely decimated. And the company I was working for, the largest developer in the world, 18 billion in projects, it went broke. I went really? from people giving us coffee in the office to no color printing allowed. And the redundancies were four redundancy periods in that time I was there. We went from this sprawling empire to this thing. And I was one of the last employees there. And I was getting, because I was one of the workers. And so 
I saw that too. So I saw this market wrecked, wrecked, wrecked. And so you got to think about it like, why would anyone want to get into real estate when you see that all that happening? Okay. And then to add salt to the wound, when I was in a property investment planning business with my dad, when I got back and we're running that small business where I got to learn so many things about business, um, I, I, I would, I would, people don't understand this. I would look at, like, we had to, we did a qualified checklist. So we had an outbound telemarketing team to get information to then pitch an appointment and then make a sale with real estate. That's how it was. It's an outbound direct response marketing business with the real estate as a product. And, uh, and, which is fine because I'm a fully licensed agent and it was all good. But, but I, I would look at every day. You got to remember if these telemarketers, we had 12 telemarketers and they would bring in like five, five checklists, six checklists, 10 checklists a day. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at a hundred snapshots of the Australian public's financial situation mm, every day okay. for seven you years. Saw some, some inside scoops of what was going on. Yes. So you got to think about it. Okay. I saw that for seven years. And so here's what I, here's what I, here's what I discovered in doing that. I discovered that most Australians had the dual income, two cars, kids at school, the main mortgage in their house, and one or two property investments that weren't actually producing any cash flow because of the operating costs and the return of the the rent back to pay the interest. And mm-hmm. I saw that time and time again. I saw credit card debts and I saw a snapshot of people with no financial flexibility, no margin of safety, no room to move. And seemingly after appointment after appointment of people, I saw unhappiness. Okay. And so I that's the, what I was imprinted in my head. And I thought, hmm, do I want to go down that path? And okay, I it's like, not, it's not yeah. So I can see why you were influenced to go down the path that you were. Yeah, all those things. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty big. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big Bridge. deal. Yeah, but if you look at it, Dan, like, 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 if you look at it now. So let's say I'm thirty. So that's ten years. I'm forty now. So thirty. Now, if you think about that, if you're thirty now, and you were you, the GFC to you, you don't know about it because you were. If you you were thirteen, uh, I, I was. Right? I think two thousand eight. That's when I finished high school, year twelve. That was my graduation year. Okay, so if you're thirty of thirty in this day, if, if you're thirty years of age now, uh, the GFC was what? How many years ago? Two. Fifteen. Wasn't it? Yeah, probably fifteen years ago. So yeah. if you're thirty now, you were what? Fifteen years of age, grade ten. So. No one understands it. They don't, don't know what it is. I was talking to someone the other day. What's the GFC? I'm like, holy shit. Um, you know, and so. Here's what you understand as a 30-year-old now. You understand this. You understand the greatest real estate boom in 50 years. That's what you understand. Uh, now. That's your programming. So I see it now with young younger people. Uh, they go, oh, what do you mean? Mate, you're mad not to get into real estate. I was like, well, yeah, if you've just experienced the greatest property boom. My old man will tell you this too. He'll say, this is the biggest property boom I've ever seen since I've ever, ever. <laughs> and he's like, he's 60... Uh, 66 67 now so i don't know does that tell you something like this is their programming yeah so so what what i'm hearing lloyd is depending on the period of time that you grow up in is going to really determine your programming around money yes of course attractive to you yeah yes yes definitely i don't i think it's underappreciated undervalued what people don't realize about money is this if you're born in australia you're already in the top one percent of wealth fact Mm. they don't even get that secondly if you're a male you already have an advantage Mm-hmm. Right, 
for, for mm-hmm. financial. Secondly, if you're white male, you probably have an advantage too, I would think, right, globally. Yeah. Then I would think if you have some sort of education to grade 12, you have an advantage. Then you have some sort of tertiary education, you have an advantage. Then, and most people in Australia have gone to you. Like, we're all advantaged. <laughs> mm. And so what they don't realize is that, yeah, politically we're at an advantage. Health-wise, we're, like, we're all advantaged in this country just about. There are some experiences mm. where people get a bit dealt a bad head of cards for their life, and I get that. But for most part, we're all very, very lucky. And so I think we're already in front, and I don't think people understand that. But, yes, to your point – year you're born and who you're born into and it's called the ovarian lottery and warren buffett talks about it he says you know what three like thousand years ago he said i would have been something's dinner (laughs) his skills weren't applicable back then so he said you know it's it's timing you know it is Mm -hmm. and so i would say the way i approach money was all because of yes my programming based on the timing Mm. it has a huge influence yeah absolutely now lloyd Let's let's wind back just a little bit. Let's wind back to when you left that job in Abu Dhabi to come and work for your dad in the real estate business. Tell us tell us about that because that's a pretty big move in and of itself. What was that like? Well, I always wanted to work with my dad because he was so skilled and like just to put it in perspective, not to get into much detail, but he when he was in his twenties, he sold one hundred insurance policies in a single week. Face-to-face. How many? A hundred. hundred. in a week? Yes, twice. Like, That's he nice. was the king. He, he was the number one insurance agent internationally for the company, globally. Internationally? Yeah. Bloody hell. He was, he was, yeah, he was the best. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. And he built this business that he sold that was worth $50 million in 1992 at 38. Mm. He was a mogul. And then it got stripped from him by Colonial Mutual and they went through a huge court battle and it got stolen. And uh, that's a sad story. But, but yeah, he's a beast. He still is a beast. And I, I wanted to be around that. You know, I thought some of it's in my DNA, surely, but it's also I wanted to be around it. <clears throat> I've got a great relationship with my dad and, and my mom and I just wanted to, I just wanted to get a taste. Well, I, I wanted to see what this is all about. You know, what, is it, what makes mm-hmm. him sick? And, and I wanted to learn selling. I know Robert Kiyosaki talks about that. Like, you've got to learn to sell. And I was like, well, how am I going to learn that? So I thought, you know what? I'm going to try and steer. And I said, Dad, I'm pl- getting paid to play golf here in Abu Dhabi because there's no projects going on because it's a dead. Um, and I'm not the type of person that likes to sit on my laurels. I'm not a leisure guy. Like, I don't like playing golf. I'm not a le- – I don't like jet- – like, I've done all that when I was younger. It's cool. Leisure cool is when you're young. It's fine, but I don't like leisure now. And so I was like, what am I going to do? So I went to work with my dad. And it, he, at the time, there was lots happening. They had the finance business, the property marketing business, and a construction company. And what's going on? And I can't go into the details, but when I got there, a few things were going a little bit wrong. And uh, yeah, it was brutal. I, I can't explain the gravity of it, but there was, we had to fight multiple court cases with business partners in civil court and the Supreme Court at the same time. Mm-hmm. And there was also changes to the Credit Act, change to the DNC register. We had to, we had to flip the business divest assets move office premises we had to um flip the whole marketing to be inbound instead of outbound we had other let all the staff go there was so many things in a row i couldn't even tell you like if you read about it if i if we ever did a chapter on it you would think it was the most obscene thing you've ever seen like 
you you mm-hmm. couldn't even craft a more challenging experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that all happened, and 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 we came out the other side where the court cases were won, and the business we we found a way to flip it back. And now to this day, right now, my dad's still got the business. I left the business after it was right, and it was all good. I was like, okay, my my time here is done. I'm going to go and chase my my business now. And at that point, we we we'd done it. We cracked it. It took it was a seven year turnaround, and mm. it was amazing. And now it's a thriving multi million dollar business. So I really, really learned a ton doing that. What what's what's some of the key? Because I'm sure there was so much during that seven year period. What were some of the key things that you really learned during that time with your dad? Um, well, I learned how to sell face to face. So what I learned how to do was I learned, well, I learned how to generate outbound leads running a telemarketing outfit. So scripts and running a team and management and like I'm running 12 telemarketing, not easy. And so like I learned that outbound lead gen, which is the hardest type of the cold calling is the hardest type of lead gen you'll ever do. And so I learned that and I learned how to bring a client into the office cold or in their home cold. And I learned how to walk in or get them in the office or walk in their home. And I learned time and time again how to build rapport, how to agitate and disturb and how to provide a solution to their problem and make a sale. And I learned how to close. And I learned how to do that face-to-face. I learned how to do it on the phone. Uh, And I learned the most brutal way possible because it was commission only, which meant if I didn't do it and make a deal, I didn't get paid. There was no wages. There's nothing like that. So I learned those things, team leadership. I learned small business management. So taking and and divesting assets to reinvigorate the business cash flow and profit shift offices manage creditors the guy whose building we're in went broke is a 50 million dollar bill went broke managing mm-hmm. deloitte's a takeover of that managing um the two court the civil court cases doing them side by side um i saw one of them i was in very involved in one where i realized in law it's not about the law it's about negotiation and it's about strategy. So I learned that most court cases are settled on the steps. And so it's like, it's a game of strategy. So I learned that. I learned how to win. I watched how to win. And then I also learned small business management, you know, staffing and resourcing. And and I was doing my own sales at the time too. So it was like, I learned that. Then I completely understood and learned inbound marketing through Facebook ads instead of, like I learned how to actually take an outbound business completely flip it and do inbound only to automated appointments. And I learned how to use collaboration partners and I learned how to pull people in who are better at us than certain things. And, and we learned how to, um, yeah, like innovate. Mm, okay. Yeah. There's, there's probably yeah. 10, 10 podcast episodes in everything that you, um, just, at least, that you just I mean, shared there. Uh, yeah. I couldn't, learn, yeah. I learned how to deal with ASIC. I learned how to, um, yeah, uh, licensing and regulate like there's so much. Yeah, we'll, we'll tell like we, we Lloyd, we haven't even touched on yet your success in the online business world as well, because I know that some of the skills that you learned in the online business world also influenced that business during that time as well. So yeah. when, when you started your your online business, what at what stage of the journey was that in? Where, where did that fall? That was that was a year after I started in that business with my dad in the property okay. um, investment business. Um. So that's a property investment and planning and marketing business. It still is today. And um, and so I learned a lot of, the, like I had a lot of cool skills I was learning there. And um, and then my sister approached me about online business, which is a product-based business, which is marketing supplements online, which is completely not that, not property. It's like a complete opposite. Yeah. It's like, what? Health products online? How do I do that? 
but I was looking for a way, looking at thinking of the, the four hour work week, I was looking for a way to get more leverage. And I was like, yes. how do I leverage social media myself from my phone? And how do we actually go and start selling a small product and getting more cash flow on the side? So how do I start a bit of a side hustle here? So my mm-hmm. sister approached Alicia and I to, to look into something and we did. And um, it was, yeah, marketing supplements online. Well, it was just, it wasn't even online then, it was just marketing supplements. And I was like, well, how am I going to do, how are we going to do this? And so we started doing traditional marketing. I remember I, I built a website and I got, I bought leads and I was cold calling them and um, I was doing all outbound trying to get these products sold. And and we ended up doing small events in our house, Mm -hmm. which helped leadership and event planning and public speaking. And and then we, um, we learned how to use social media to create leverage. And so we started to get more of our leads through organic social media posting and those posts and the crafting of messages through social media and that it's called advertising. And if, Learning advertising, I realized, holy crap, we can actually apply a lot of these, a lot of these principles and a lot of these techniques and, and tactics in our property business, and that really, it helped the shift to go from just what we were doing there outbound into let's do some inbound, and that's how that had an impact. Okay, so the skills from that helped your dad's business and got that over the. I th- yeah, the, like. I think so because it brought us up to speed with what was happening in the world of marketing because doing product marketing, you have to know the cutting edge, what's happening out there because you've got to be mm-hmm. selling product each week. It's a small ticket item and you have to be doing it you know, to the public and you have to know what's working. And so we would go to events and get trained by people at events on how to do that organically. So I thought this is pretty cool. So what if we could do it and, and get some paid traffic too? So we ended up doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so it had an impact yeah. for sure. Now, I guess because the big thing is you obviously built the seven-figure share portfolio by the time you were in your 30s, which is yeah. it's a mammoth mammoth effort. Because I know when I started my journey, I realized it's going to take a damn long time to compound my money and to grow my money. And I know this is where the online business came in for you. So yeah. share with share with us the significance of that and how that actually accelerated your journey towards you know, mastering your money. Yeah. Well, good question. So I was sitting in the office one day when I was in the property business and I actually wanted to figure out the day I want to become a millionaire. So I got the Excel spreadsheet out. I put out my net worth was probably, I guess, 100,000 or something, 100, maybe it was maybe it was 150, 200. I don't forget what the number was. That was my net worth. And so I sat down and went, okay, that's what we're worth. So how to be a millionaire, you have to have a net worth of $1 million. So I was like, okay. So I got the spreadsheet out and I thought, well, if I can save... 25 grand a year and invest it with a basic compound rate of say eight or 9% and I keep adding to it every year, then I'll get to a millionairehood in the next, I think it was like 10 years or something. And I was like, or something like that. And I was like, okay, all right. Maybe it was 12 years or 15 years or something. I thought, okay, well, at least I know. At least, at least now I know it's not some BS delusional thing. Like I've sat down and I've actually got the spreadsheet and I've actually worked it out. So I need to put in 25K a year at this index fund and be patient and I'll get there. But of course, when you do that, you see very clearly that if you were to double that to 50,000, you get there twice as fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it doesn't take a genius to work that out. So I thought, well, how do we create an extra 25,000 a year in income where we can add to this portfolio to double the time it takes to, or to, to, to shrink the time by half to get there? And so that's when this side hustle marketing health products from our phone, Alicia and I with my sister kind of tickled my fancy because then I was like, well, what if this was the way, what if we could earn an extra 500 bucks doing this each week? And the idea was to build an up, you know, 50 grand, a hundred grand a year doing that extra as well as my property business. So we had two incomes instead of one. And that was what we started to tip into the share portfolio. 
Okay. Okay. So you were so you were in the property business. That was your main thing. Yep. You already had the share portfolio, and then you were starting to build this online uh, business marketing health products yep. for the extra income to feed the share portfolio. Yep. Precisely. Okay. Okay. Yep. Then then what happened as you started to to learn that skill set more, the online business marketing, the health products. What what changed? Because obviously you're not in the property business anymore. Well, I was still in the pro- I was in the property business from 2012 until 2000, yeah, 2012 to late to 2018. So I was in there for seven years. So what happened was I was we were building this uh, health product business on the side at the same time I was effectively running and doing my own sales. So I was running the business with my dad mm. and a partnership there, and I was also doing my own sales to make the money, <laughs> doing my own property runs, doing my own appointments, managing team like lots, six days a week. Yeah. And on the side, after I pick Alicia up from work at six from her paralegal job, we'd go home, sit in the car for an hour, we'd build this other business. And on weekends, we'd go to an event to build the other business. And I'd get in the car at six o'clock at night, we'd go to drive to Brisbane in the evening on a weekday, do a presentation in someone's house, make some sales and go home. And we did that year in, year out, year in, year out. If there was an event to go to in Sydney, we hopped on a plane, we went down on a Saturday and learned the business. If there was yeah. some party to have in someone's house in Ipswich, we'd get in the car and drive there. If there was something to do in our house, we'd host an event in our house, people would come over, we'd sell the product. And then we were always doing stuff online, social media-wise. And so in 2016, to enhance that business's success, I needed to ha- be a person of authority in the health space. So I went and decided to go and win a body, an actual bodybuilding competition to build an authority in the space. So I'm working six days a week in the business. I'm building this online business on the side and I'm working in the gym twice a day to build this physique winning body. And that was my whole schedule. At the same time, Dan, I was doing Toastmasters. There you go. So I'm just flogging myself in as many ways as I can to get this thing going, right? So the whole idea was we were going to build this thing. And in three and a half years from when we started, we had developed it to about eighteen hundred dollars a week. That's big. That's what well, that's a hundred k year, isn't it? Eighteen hundred. Yep. And we were the, we got an award for uh, building a, a six figure business with this side hustle online. We got an award here in America for doing it under the age of thirty five. Mm. And we were the number I think two hundred. Ah, oh, I forget what we were, but it was special. And and that's when I was like, wow, we have this extra cash, cool. And that's what went in the portfolio. But what happened was we got better at it. And so we ended up scaling to about 200K a year. And at that point, I found it more enjoyable because it was a recurring income stream paid weekly. Yeah, I, thought, I felt it more. I had fun doing it because it was international. Like we were getting on planes. We were going around the country. I was speaking at events. We were hosting events. I was really helping people's health. Um, I was bodybuilding at the time. Like I was really involved and I loved it. And I just felt like it, it was a freedom vehicle more so than the property business where I had to be in the office six days a week and you'd only get paid on the next deal you did. And so it was very much, there was no leverage in that. And so I realized that. And so I thought, you know, I'd be remiss not to go and pour all my, our energy into this other business that was scalable online and global. And so I remember in my brain, I thought first thing I had to do to build that business was quit the CFA charter at level three. So before I hit that level three to finish that program that I talked to you about earlier, I had to make a very difficult decision to walk away from that to build the side hustle. That's a massive decision because the amount of hours yeah. that you put into that is yeah. huge. To, to make yes. the decision just to, to quit. Yes, it wasn't an easy decision. That. Do you know how long it took yeah. me to make the decision? How long? Six months of a war in my head. Wow. Because it's, it's not in my DNA to quit things. And then I was like, mm. what am I doing? Like, what's the purpose here? 
And so I just made the decision. And once I made that decision, that side hustle thrived because I didn't have too much on my plate. Because at the time I had that's I had my job basically six days a week, bodybuilding, side uh, CFA charter, and the business. And I was cooking myself. I was like, I'm going to die if I keep this up. And you realize at that point you're overwhelmed. And you go, well, I can't do everything. You can't dance at every wedding. What am I going to let go? And so I let go of the CFA charter. Yeah, brutally hard decision. But like, what's the purpose of life? Is it to live free? Or is it just to go study and finish things? It's like, we'll go live free. So after I made that decision, we scaled the business, the online business up, the, the supplements business up to 200K a year. And I remember we were scaling in momentum. It was a lot of fun. And I remember I had a very another hard decision to make. And it was like, oh my God, how am I going to have this decision with my dad? We've kind of rebuilt this business back together from its doldrums, completely transformed it, so involved in it. And um, it was righted. The ship was right and it was going good. But then I was like, well, how am I going to leave? And so again, it took me six months to thinking about really? it, thinking about it, thinking, about it, thinking about it. Yeah, long, yeah. Well, you think about it, it's a breakup with your hero, your dad, in, his, in a business you've rebuilt together. What, you're just going to leave him in the trenches taking grenades? That's not easy. It's family. It's loyalty. It's like it's very hard. But in my heart, you're like, Lloyd, this is an online business. It's what you've been praying for since the four-hour work week. You finally built it. You got it. You're doing it with your wife. You're, it's amazing. You're doing well. What are you doing in an office? Get the hell out of here. Now's the time. Yeah. And that's the heart. That's this quiet noise in your heart telling you to go. And then you've got your head going, oh, but what about the loyalty? And what about my dad? And I'm going to disappoint him. Da, 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 da. So I said to him, Dad, I need to have a chat. <laughs> Let's go downstairs. He comes downstairs. He lights a cigarette. We haven't decided. I said, listen, I, I, I'm going to have to go and do this full time, this, this side hustle business. I can't be here anymore. He said, well, go and do what you want to do. So he was supportive? Well, he probably was a bit irritated. But, <laughs> you know, to lose a great resource in your business, yeah. like I'm a good resource. I know I am. Like I'm very skilled and and on family, like to lose me out of that business would have been heartbreaking for him. It would have been terrible, um, truly terrible. But he takes it like a king, like he's a, he just knows. He's like, well, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it's yours. And so it's like, well, I had to follow my path. At that point, you've got to remember this. At that point, the only thing I'd ever done is been part of someone else's vision. So this is when your real vision was cast. Yeah. I was forging my own vision, my own path. And so I was like, now it's time. I'm going to go fly my own path now. So I've, I, I served, I, I followed other advice. Then I served in employees and I, and I served mentors and bosses. Then I served my dad at the time when he, first, he really probably needed me the most. And I served and bled crimson in that business. And I really don't do things in halves. And I really focus. And, I, and so now it was time for me to go do my thing because I bloody well earned it. Mm. So off I went. <laughs> And you'd pretty much created your four-hour work. You know, that book that you'd read all those yeah. years ago, you'd now yeah. had the vehicle and you were actually yeah. now living yeah. that essentially. Yeah. Yep. So the two things we crafted, and again, my sister introduced us to that vision, but we crafted our own vision and, and, and business out of it. But um, the one thing that was still ours and our idea that I really was, I'm still super proud of is we never went into property. We have a, a, a wonderful share portfolio. So that's one thing that we've done that few people do and that was a real good backup plan so when i transitioned out of the property business into our full-time online business with the supplements i had we had a portfolio of six hundred thousand dollars built up which was like That's producing big. yeah it was producing thirty thousand a year in income in tax-free income from from dividends so i positioned it like that so i could get the dividends so i could pay the rent and like so i could have some 
predictable cash flow that wasn't tied to a business. And I didn't have any debt. We didn't have any debt. So we had this going on. So this is where you got to understand. You only jump out of that. I was prepared to jump. I prepared things. I didn't just willingly do it. When I left my job in Abu Dhabi, I was prepared because I had cash and no debt. And I had a place to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had had an idea of what I was doing. Then when I left the property business, I had a part. I had a great business that was working, had no debt, had a portfolio producing passive income and didn't have any kids. I was ready to go. And I planned it and we executed. Mm-hmm. And then I was only ever in that business by itself. I'm very much, a, I do two things at once type guys. In like, I like to have two running businesses at the same time because I have the capacity. So in an online business like that, there's very leverage, which it is. In 2018, we went full time in it. And we only did that for two years because two years later, COVID hits. And we took a big hit in that business's income during COVID. Um and so we're like, well, I'm like, well, I've got capacity. I want to do something at the same time. And so we started the education business. Okay. Okay. So after you, you know, you left with your dad's business, you went full time yep. on the, on the online side hustle, which was thriving. <laughs> yep. So, so you really built that up. Then COVID hit and that kind of derailed things a little bit. Shook it up. Yep. We actually, we actually pumped it. It pumped the business in 2020 right up. We had, we were hitting records. But then after that, it got a bit thin because it's an event-driven business. And so without events, it starts to die off. And so we did, yeah, we took okay. a hit. Yeah, but okay. survival will hit, it's fine. Like the business is in a wonderful spot. But but that was like, okay, well, I can probably, not that it, not that, that really mattered. It was fine. It wasn't the financial thing that, it wasn't that. I financially didn't need to do anything. Mm, <laughs> like yeah. financially, didn't need to. But well, I, Lloyd, I, at what, what point were you and Lloyd, uh, you and Alicia, sorry, essentially financially independent or free, like where you really... You, 2018. Because like, Alicia, Alicia left her job earlier than me, because yeah. she, but I left in 2008. So 2018 was when I left the traditional, any traditional go-to-work scenario. And we were at home in 2018 on Zoom. We were using Zoom years before it was a popular thing. And we yeah. crafted, we were living, I was working from home. We were, we were working our, our business, uh, in and out of our home, but 2018. So from when I read the book, Four-Hour Workweek, what's that? Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. And the reason I say that is like, oh, whenever I talk about money mastery, Lloyd, I'll, there was a fellow Brad Sugars that I was listening to on Instagram live and he said it takes 10 years to master your money, but poverty in the middle class takes forever. Yeah, 10 years to be and an overnight success, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's why I was curious to see yeah, yeah, how long that journey yeah. was for you. Yeah. I just did a, um, I just did a, a training for all the um, action coaches globally for Brad Sugars' company just the other day. Did you? Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> uh, money and investing. Nice. There you go. Yeah. I heard about yeah, that yeah. one. So that's the connection to Brad. I was supposed to go see him in Las Vegas when we were there, but never get a chance. But he, he's he seems like a, he's a, he's a beast. That guy. He is never a beast. met him, but yeah, interesting. Yes, but he's correct. It does take. My dad would say, you know, it takes ten years to be an overnight success. But truthfully, it's probably twenty years to be really a true success. Like where you're making so much money, it you can never go broke almost, and that's probably a twenty year program. Mm. Now, yeah. what I would love to know, Lloyd, is because obviously you've had the success with the online business. How how did that how did your vision then change? Because now you've got a thriving, very successful financial education and coaching business where you're helping so many people. How did how did the vision shift from the online business to now creating the financial education business as well? When was that point for you? Well, it's really interesting because the success we had in our online business with the supplement marketing and supplements, um, we were on stage a lot. I was starting to te- teach, like I was doing presentations to 6,000 people audiences in the Brisbane Entertainment Center. Uh, 
in 2016 was my first go at that. <laughs> and then, how old was I then? I don't know, like 34 or 35. And so I was doing that then. And I mean, there was a guy in the crowd. So our success was very good in this business, so much so that we we're on stage doing this. And um, it was wild. But yeah, it was wild. There's banners of us up on the entertainment. It's crazy. You walk into the entertainment, there's banners of you, like there's billboards of your face up there. It's quite an interesting experience. Anyway, there's a guy in the audience on that day, and that particular year, I, I won this award in the company, the supplements company that produces the supplements. I won this we, I won this award called Man of the Year. So they give this award out, big gala dinner, and you get this from all the uh, the business owners and the thing. You get I won this Man of the Year award, which is a real pinnacle moment for my career at that point okay that was the that was the pinnacle at that point i was like wow it was a marvelous award i felt so proud and so then i went up and got the award and i was introduced on the stage the next day to present to this big audience and they introduced me as the man of the year and there's a guy in the audience who's um his name's gavin top and he is an ex-australian champion boxer and he's also been inducted into the boxing hall of fame in queensland and he was the number 12 in the world ranked 12 in the world and he built this wonderful business called Fight Like a Pro, where he was big events business and successful guy. Like his story, I actually interviewed him on my podcast recently. His story is amazing too. And he was in the audience, didn't know him. And he heard this guy, oh, man of the year, eh? And I knew he thought, hmm, we'll see about that. I wonder if he is. And he wanted to get me into his boxing program because he thought I would like to test this guy out to see what he's really, if he's really is like a man of the year. Like what's that all about? So he randomly messaged me in, in Messenger. He said, hey, mate, I saw you on stage and just... Well done, awesome. Like he started to just approach me and build rapport. And he's the, he's the master at that. <laughs> he's the master. And he said, oh, good. Um, this is because he was involved in the company. He said, oh, there's an event coming up. How about we catch up beforehand and have a coffee? I said, great. So we had a coffee and, um, and he said, I want to show you something. I said, all right, what do you want to show me? And he showed me his boxing program, uh, Rite of Passage. And it's where you train up for 10 weeks and do a fight, a boxing mm -hmm. fight. And uh, he said, I, he showed it to me. He said, "What do you want me to do? You want me to help you influence? You want me to send some people to you? Like, what's the what's the what's the pitch?" <laughs> he said, "No, no, no! I want you to do it. I want you to. I want to, I want you to do it." I was like, "Oh God, okay." Uh, and I just read David Goggins' book, "Can't Hurt Me," so I was up for a big, hard challenge because I'd finished the bodybuilding, and that was quite an exhilarating experience winning that competition. Uh, and so I was up for another challenge. I'd done some other things, but um, I said, "Okay, sign me up." So he signed me up. Went through this boxing program. And uh, it was brutal as anything, mm. brutal. And did a fight and won the fight. <laughs> it was in this dungeon. It was in this nightclub in this in Broad Beach. Men only, three hundred men drinking, shouting in this pit. It, like you up and you look into the pit, concrete floor. It was like, and on the on the on the card on the top fight card of the night. So on the end fight, on the sixth fight of the night, the end, the main event. And so all these people, my family, some of my friends are there. It's all guys, right? but all of my friends and brother-in-laws and my dad's there. Everyone's there, right? And so, and I'm fighting this guy. And, and so I got to watch all these fights and I was like, oh my Lord. And so then I'm, I'm in the background warming up and then I'm out and then I go and jump through the ropes and I go for, 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 for three or four rounds to, 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 to fight. So I won this fight and I actually won this award that Gavin gave me called Fighter of the Series, which I was super excited about and chuffed about because I really put a lot of effort into it. And because of that, I became friends with Gavin. Because he saw him, like I went and did my best, and he really, I guess we, he liked that that character trait, mm -hmm. and he's not an easy guy to win respect from, mm -hmm. as you can imagine. 
So I started, I kept training with him on the stairs on these brutal, like I was brutally training with him. And I did another fight at his house called Fight Club, which was like, we did three rounds on the third round. It was until there was no bell on the third round. You just had to keep going until someone quit or was knocked out or whatever. And I did that with another, the main card of the fight with a guy bigger and stronger and flipper. And so I did all, I stepped up to the plate and did that. And that's what probably got me close to Gavin so much. And he became a very dear friend, one of my best friends of all time. And, um, and so what happened was while I was training with him around there with the guys and I was doing a lot of spar, I'd go to his house every Friday and spar with him and some other guys. And, um, and it was there that I was teaching people about money and he cottoned onto it. And I taught his kids a couple of little things about like, you know, some micro investing they could do and just, just talking about it a lot and teaching some of the guys. And it was just came so easy and naturally to me, of course. And so he said to me, man, he'd just written a book called the rite of passage. Um, and he said, man, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. Come on, come on this journey with me. Come on this adventure. And so he, he said, he announced it to this crowd. It was about 12, 12 blokes. He said, Lloyd's going to write a book all about money. And it's going to be ready in two weeks. And so this is, yeah. And this is what a mentor does. They give you yeah. deadlines, they challenge you. And so, all right, okay, you don't challenge me again. I'll, and I step up to the plate. He laughs at it all the time because he said, you know, I have so much fun with you. I said, why? He because you're so easy. He goes, I push your button so easy. You're so easy to play with. Like, because he knows if he challenges me, I don't step back. And so he's like, when he challenged me to run a 111 kilometer ultra marathon with eight weeks notice, we did it. Yeah. My wife and I and her sister and him, we did it. And so they're the types of things that I've done. And that's why he likes to work with me, I guess, is because I'm fun because I'm up for a challenge. And so with the book, it was a challenge to write the book. And his son, Jay, helped bring that to life, which is the Money Grows on Trees book you held up before. And we, I did it in four weeks. And we launched it. And we didn't know what we were doing. And we thought, let's build a little education business here with a little book and a little course. And let's just start helping people learn the basics around money. Because I noticed... So Gavin, now, so Gavin was the one who kind of planted the seed and started totally. planting this vision for where you're totally. next. Okay. Totally. Because okay. people... Totally. But also people don't realize that books aren't written in four weeks. That book took a long time to write because you read the story. It's pretty much what we've unpacked so far in the podcast. Like mm. they're the lessons that I impart in that book. And so you can't just write that overnight. I had to live for yeah. 20, 20 years from university where I, I lived for 20 years doing some cool shit to be able to write that book. <laughs> so mm. the story is not just like, okay, write a book. It's like I lived life and then wrote the book. So Okay. That's probably, and, it, and that's, and that's obviously how you inspired me with this this book here. That's that's why I read that. So I connected with you, and we started building our relationship as well. And you've challenged me a lot of times. So, so from writing this book, you planted the seed. You wrote this book, this great book, sharing your life experiences. What what then happened for you? Because so much has happened since then. What's happened? Yeah, it's like you think you've uncovered this ultimate life where we have this four hour work week we built from scratch in eight years bit by bit. I don't know how I was going to do it, but it worked out. And then we got this great portfolio we're building and I'm doing this fight with Gavin and I've got a good friendship and we've got this book and you never know where it's going to lead. But I say to people, you know, they said, how'd you create this opportunity? I said, okay, I said, I had to go get my head punched in a couple of times because <laughs> that's how I met his son and who's a, who's a business partner now. And uh, we started this dream collaboration together to bring this to life. And so Gavin's gone off now. Gavin just left himself with his whole family to live in Europe, which is insane. He messaged me yesterday and he's in Greece. He said, Lloyd, I'm in Greece. We might just live here. I'm like, this is amazing. And so we've, together we went on this journey 
where we both had these businesses and we both built these side by side together. So we went on this adventure together. And I think that's what he really enjoys the most is the adventure. And his son, Jay, at 23, 24, has built one of the best globally. He's an incredible guy. And so I we've built this business together and we didn't know what we were going to do with it. The book comes out. You know, Jay's learning. I'm learning. We're in the studio filming and we're doing cool. We're all learning. We're just learning. We're just building this thing as we go. We didn't know where it was going to go, but I knew I had the capacity to do another business with our current business and I had the time. COVID had happened. So the whole world yeah. shut down and where I'm in the studio making this whole business, starting this business in COVID. And so I just, I thought it's fun to create things with other people just for, for no other reason than the adventure you get to go on. And so what happened was we started to, to, to get ahead with it. We sold a fairly significant number of books. We started a coaching program on the backside of it, which is now a 12-month mentorship program called The Five Steps to Millions. And we wrote this particular book and launched this, The Money Buys Happiness. After, yeah. And Gavin also said, you know, he goes, I'm writing a second book. And, and I said, oh, sure, I suppose I should write one too. And so we wrote that book and that particular book is, is really the front end of our, of our offer for the mentorship. And if you read that book, it's pretty well, a lot of more information about money and so forth. And, um, and that really kicked off our education business to the next level. And that allowed us to, we scaled that like really fast. Um, and we've now got a team of 12 or actually there's now probably 14 people on the team of, of that whole business. And, and what's cool about that, within a, a standing start in 2020, end of 2020, within two years, we had actually won a two comma club award. Yeah, with uh, ClickFunnels. Yeah, which is this one. Yeah. You know what's crazy, Lloyd? Because I know that a, a, an image of that was on your vision board from years ago. You didn't know how yeah. it was going to happen, but it was there and it's happened just recently. Yeah. Yes, it happened. How good is that? We won it. We won it. Yeah, it's wild because it was on there. And this business had done that, scaled and won the Two Comma Club Award with ClickFunnels. And that's what got Alicia and I, we were over there in the United States only two months ago, eight weeks. And I'm take, we're getting on the stage with that award. And I'm standing next to Russell Brunson, who owns ClickFunnels, a billion-dollar company. He's a billionaire. I'm standing next to him on the stage in front of 7,000 people, <laughs> winning this gnarly award in front of the best marketers in the world in this room in Orlando, Florida, um, from that little experience of us in this shed at the back of Corumban filming these videos and writing this book after getting my head punched in through fights to meet the person to get the idea. After I was on stage at a, at a big event to get the guy's attention, after winning an award that got his attention, after spending all those times in the car going to small events after work to build that business, like, do you, it's just been compounded. Mm. Something that rings true, like the whole the whole time, Lloyd. No matter where you've been in your life, you can tell that you don't half-ass things. You actually commit to things. You and you always do your best, no matter what it is. And it's like you always tell me, Lloyd. You know how you do one thing is how you do everything. And there was a period of time where actually I actually resisted that statement. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've actually changed my tune on that. But it's just something with you. It's like how you do one thing is how you do everything. That's true through this whole story that you've shared with us here today on your journey of money mastery and. I'm sure you're only, you know, scratching the surface of what's to come over the next decade, the next two decades as well. Well, it's really interesting because you don't know where it's going to go. And I did this. I just did this reel yesterday. It'll probably come out on my Instagram. I don't set goals anymore. Really? I haven't set, I haven't set goals for ages. No. 
So what do you, what do, you do now? What's your, what's your I, new philosophy? I, I just I set a vision in my head and just play the the mind movie you call it, right? Yes, that's all. That's all I do. I just play a mind movie of what I want my life to look like in the next five or so five to ten years, mm-hmm. and that's all I do. And I know the steps to take. I don't need goals. I just fall in love with the process because what was happening with my goal setting is I did that. Now I was I had the goals on the back of our door: win a bodybuilding comp, do this, do that, do that. But it felt so rigid, and I felt very frustrated and unhappy if I didn't meet them, and it would irritate me. And I didn't like the the unhappiness it was giving me. I couldn't find the joy in it because it was too. Yeah, it was like I don't know. It was it was too rigid, and so because how do you know you can't hit bigger goals than that like there's no way we could have ever anticipated what we do with the education business no way Mm. but so it's like i've stopped setting goals and writing them down and instead we talk like we talk about goals so like we have this big goal to scale this education business and write a new book which has just begun next year and to have our biggest month there in august and sell the most books that's a goal yeah it is a goal but it's not like you need the goal to give you the motive. It's fun. It sounds great. I'm not totally attached to it. It's kind of there, but we're really building this long-term business that we're scaling to help people to impact the world in terms of money, education, and, and so forth. And so that's a fun goal, but it's not so like if we hit it, we hit it. Like it doesn't matter so much. It's more like what's the real end game after 10 years of doing this? And do I enjoy the process so much that I can keep doing it? So what I've learned is if I can create a vision and I fall in love with the process, which is actually the day-to-day process of building, which I've been doing all week, like I'm in the process. I'm in the trenches. And so I find joy in that. And so I try and focus on that and I marry that process and I divorce the outcome. So I've divorced the goals. Okay, so you you pretty much just operate with this grand vision now and then enjoy the process. Yep. And just let it take you where it takes you. Yeah. Because if you think about the vision every day, you're so motivated internally to get on team building calls and, and mm. author calls and do the work and you know make sales and talk at events. And like, that's all I'm doing. You know, get on podcasts and talk. Like, that's the, that's the do. Now, Lloyd, I think for some perspective, because your vision would change from when you started to where you are. Now. It's going to change 100%. And I'm curious if you can share with, with us how has your vision changed from when you very first started your money mastery journey compared to where it is now? Just for some perspective for people that might be right at the beginning of their journey. I think I always had a vision that I wanted freedom of some sort. And by freedom, I mean like financial independence of a boss or a, or a workplace. Like I wanted that. Mm-hmm. I wanted um, autonomy to work on my own projects and my own way with the people I want to work with, which is so bloody undervalued. It's so good yes. to work with people I love working with. Um, yeah. So I always wanted autonomy, wanted to work a business with my partner or my wife, who's my wife, Alicia, which is bloody amazing. I always wanted to work from home. I think getting in a car and suiting up and traveling is just the most inefficient thing ever. I always wanted to, um, I liked, the, I wanted to be on stages and like, I liked, I wanted the adventure of business and not just the money. I wanted to tell cool stories like I get to tell Um, because I read this book once. I think it was Chicken Soup for the Soul. I forget where I read it, but this guy had this vision to tick all these boxes off in his life to live this epic life. It was just this huge list of epic things. I was like, that's what I want. So I feel like I've done that in the last 40 years of my life. I've been able to tick a lot of things. So I always wanted the adventure. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's really been my vision. And I think that that's why I've got this now because I've just wanted to live that vision no matter what. And so I haven't done it for just money. 
Um, money's been this kind of like goal to help me relive this adventure. So I've used it as a dangling carrot to get me through this adventure. And I think that's cool. Okay. Um, so I think that's always been the vision. Um, I had no way I could have anticipated ever doing fights with Gavin and running a hundred kilometer ultra, get winning a two common club award, writing books. I mean, whoever thinks about writing books and actually does it like, I never thought we'd have a podcast. I mean, I didn't even listen to podcasts. Now we have an award-winning podcast with like over a hundred five-star reviews and, mm. and, and, a, and a thriving online nutrition business and supplements. I mean, I never could have imagined that would have been something that we would have built. I never knew how I was going to get to big stages of the world. And I, I spoke in Orlando in front of the biggest audience ever and delivered a keynote that I was so proud of. I mean, that's part of the journey. And I, that was never really on my vision. Like back then. How? Mm. How could it possibly? Mm-hmm. I think innately in you, you want it, but you're like, how do I bridge that? You know? And so we went to Toastmasters every single flipping week for years and learned. Like, I guess so the vision was kind of there, but there's no way in the world I could have anticipated it would have been this good. Mm. No way. Okay. So now I like, well, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years. My vision is like a $10 million share portfolio. My vision is a Wall Street Journal number one best selling book. In 2024 nice um my vision is a platinum level business in our supplements business mm-hmm. um my vision is you know getting asked to be on big hitting podcasts to share this type of story my vision is kids and family my vision is yes yeah, speaking on stages but just really inspiring younger people to go and run after their dreams and live the vision and and continuing to just do what we do now and build a huge education business. That's my vision. Now, that's pretty much it. I, I can't think of anything else I'd add to that. Continue to make myself proud. And, and I think that's kind of it. Like, I think one of the coolest things that's happened in that journey is that in that journey, I got to meet you. It attracted you to me. And I've been able to influence you in different ways. You've been able to influence me in different ways. And you think about it. If I hadn't have done my best, then I wouldn't have challenged you to, hey, mate, you need to go to Toastmasters. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's go. Yeah. And you wouldn't be having this competition. And then maybe you wouldn't have started a podcast so quickly. You probably would have anyway. But, but you know, I, I think it's great if you can go on a journey, you can impart wisdom to others. You get a ton mm. of fulfillment from that. So being able to be a leader is one thing. But a leader is someone who can develop other leaders. And so I think of Gavin, he's able to develop me as a leader. My dad was able to develop me as a leader. My wife develops me in so many different areas as a leader. I then can pass that on and we can develop leaders. You know, tap into leadership in you to become help you become your best. And mm-hmm. other people along the journey, all the people we mentor and we talk to and we teach, and that's a beautiful part of living your best life on your mission because it actually does the world the most good. I think love that, yeah, love that powerful. I'm feeling inspired. You know, this this is an inspiring message and story, and it is really cool to be here having this conversation with you. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to being able to pass the baton down to someone in the future and to people in the you future. Will, well. You already are. You already are. Look what you're doing with the podcast. It's already happening because someone listens to this and they mm. think, "Fire! If Daniel hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done this and this." You're already doing it. It's just mm. you just keep doing it, and it just mm. gets cooler and cooler and better and better because you skill up, you get better, you get bigger, you get more well-known like you get you just get bigger mm, 100%. you're already doing it man like people often think this they go oh you know lord you're this and this I said listen <laughs> i was in the same bloody mindset as i am now doing the same stuff 
you know, 10 years ago, 12 years. I was mm-hmm. always ambitious. Like I've always been urging myself forward. I mean, I was doing, I, I rode around the Himalayas on a motorcycle trip in India Himalayas in 2010. I was, mm-hmm. I've always been doing stuff. It's just, you didn't know me back. Like I, so I think my point is that you already have a billionaire mindset. It's just a billionaire number in your bank account is probably 50 years away. So it's taken, it's the times, times waiting to catch up. Totally. The, the money in the bank is waiting to catch up to the skills, to the mindset. Hundred, totally. And right now I feel like my skills have surpassed my bank account. So I'm very much so. So I'm waiting patiently for the money to catch up quickly now. And I think okay. it'll do something in the next 10 years. Like, and it doesn't catch up when it, like you've got to be well ahead of it in your skills and what you're doing. But when you get there and you, your skills are there, the, when the money hits, it's kind of like it's coming, it's coming, it's, coming it's, and it's getting so much speed because money, when it gets a lot of momentum, it, it, it just surpasses, it surpasses you. So if you're, so if you're watching this on the video, I've got my hand and you're doing this skill and skills are like, ah, they do compound because yeah. you get better. So they're exponentially getting better, but your money goes like this. <laughs> like, really whoa. Scary. It does that. It goes, boom, it goes past you. And if you read the book, Think and Grow Rich, there's this one sentence in the book that says, you know, when it comes, yes. you'll be wondering where it was all this time. <laughs> yes, that, that old sentence, I always think about that one. Because it's so yeah. true, Lloyd, because, you know, you know, you're a decade or so ahead of me on, on the journey. And it's it, sometimes it can be frustrating. Like, you, you're, you're learning all these skills, you're building the business, you're doing all these things. And it's just, sometimes the money takes it longer than you expect to catch up to the skill set and to the mindset. And I feel yes. like maybe that's what stops a lot of people and that maybe that's why a lot of people quit too of early course. on in their journeys. That's usually the only reason they quit because they're just too impatient mm. with the money because mm. they get into business for money. Then it doesn't come yeah. as fast as what they want. And so all of a sudden their expectations aren't met mm. and they get unhappy and they get, they get uh, yeah, disenchanted and they leave. And that's, that's why it happens. And so that's why I don't set God. That's why I'm not putting these undue expectations on myself anymore. Because I don't want to set myself up to be in a position to ever quit anything. So I've always gone into things with very low expectations. It's so much better for my happiness and my joy and my results. Because I always outperform. Mm. Like I went in, like going to things with no expectations is so much better. Like as soon as I set expectations, I create instant unhappiness. I was like, mm. why am I doing that? That's so dumb. I think it's better just to have to enjoy the journey. And that's what I've tried to do. So I don't look too far ahead. I mean, I know I kind of want to do it next year, but I'm not a guy who's trying to do that. Don't don't pay unreasonable expectations because you will quit. So I think, um, yes, it takes a long time for the money to catch up. And what irritates me the most, and I'll probably do that to you too, and the people that are very skilled, is that a lot of people who are unskilled and talking a lot of hoo-ha just because of the timing of it all, they I'm okay with them making a ton of money. But, but I like people that really do earn their success. I, I, I do. I like to work with people like that. That's why I like working with you because you actually are very undervalued in like you're very skilled. You're better than most people, but you're not getting paid as much of them yet. And that annoys me. Mm. That annoys me. And so that would annoy you too. And it would annoy me too, because I know I'm more skilled and more qualified and bloody lots of people. I mean, some of the stories I hear them share on stage, I'm like, I've got 10 times better stories than that. So I don't think to myself, why do they have, I'm like, what do I need to do to get there? Because I feel like I can deliver a bigger punch. So rather than use it as like, oh, why, why, why? Just say, well, that's cool. They've done that. They've painted a path. I feel like I can do it. Now, how do I get there? 
And so I think that's the mindset to carry. Like I am super skilled, but if the bank account's not reflecting what they have, what am I missing? Mm. You know, that's what, that's mm. what got me into action with our new book is I watched Alex Hormoz's book launch and I was like, I can do that. Alex is not more, I can do what he does. I, I can do it. Why am I doing it? So by other people and having mentors and people doing things, it inspires you to take huge action. It gives you permission to take action. Totally. And it inspires. So I'm like, well, thank you, Alex, for doing that because you really irritated me into action because you've, you've shown me Lloyd without even telling me, Lloyd, you know, you can do what I did. Like, it's going to be challenging as hell, but you've got the skills to do this. Why aren't you doing it? So I remember messaging Jay and saying, I'm irritated. <laughs> <laughs> We can do bigger, and he's like, "Yes, we can." And so, like, when you get a good pe- team around you, when they've got a big vision and they're young and they're excited and they're hungry, that's the time to run and, and leap. And that's what encouraged us to write this next book, which is now officially about to start on Tuesday. It's already started. Can't wait! To, can't wait to see this one. It's going to be. I can't wait to see what you've obviously been inspired by Alex Hormozzi and what he did with his massive hundred million dollar leads book launch. I can't wait to see what's coming in twenty twenty four for you with the new book. Yeah, but I can't. Well, well I, I'm going to do my best. Again, I'm going to just go and do my best. If it turns out to be very good, great. If it turns out that it's not as good, then what are we going to learn? So I think that's the best approach. But yes, I always have the intention to make it as best we can, as good yeah. as we can. Now, Lloyd, we've been going for nearly 90 minutes. <laughs> I mean, you know, I really value your time and I value the audience for listening to this. And there's been so much. I'm going to have to listen back to this myself a couple of times, I reckon. <laughs> but, Lloyd, just. I feel, like, I, feel like you're, I feel like you're about to pass me the book like uh this lloyd this is your life i feel like we've gone through everything well i did I, I wanted to get to the juicy details so people could really hear the journey of money mastery for you and you know the overnight the, the overnight success story because as people can probably hear now it's not just something that magically happens it's there's years and years and years and hours of sacrifice and commitment of discipline, of showing up to get to where you are right now to enjoy the fruits of your labor. But what I would love to know, Lloyd, is if you could go back in time and if you could have a conversation with, say, your 18-year-old self before you started all of this, what would you say to that version of you? You're going to do it, man. You're going to do it. Don't worry. You're going to do it. You're going to make it. It's going to be not what you expect and it's going to come in different ways. You're going to be super challenged and it's going to be tough, but you're going to get through the challenges and you're going to make it. So don't worry. All is going to be cool and it's going to be better than what you anticipate. That's what I'd say to him because I wouldn't say to him, go do this instead of this. I wouldn't say go do this. I wouldn't do that, but I wouldn't give him encouragement that he's going to make it. That's what I'd do. I just would do that. And I think that I've never answered that question like that before because I've often thought, I don't want to change my life. I love my life now. If I was to go back and tell my 18-year-old something something else he didn't need to know, then it would not have happened the way it has happened. And I'm thrilled that it's happened like this. So I would just encourage him, say, no matter what, back yourself. When you're scared, step into it. You're going to make it. You may not. You may, you'll be slower than others. They'll have figured it out. You, you'll, be, you'll get there. Just follow your heart and go for it, man. Just follow your heart and go for it. That's what I'd say to him. Love that. Love that. Wise words to finish off, Lloydy. Yeah. Well, mate, loved this conversation today. You've given us you've given us so much value, so much of your time. And hey, if people feel inspired by your story, if they want to check out what you're about, if they haven't heard of you just yet, where's the best place for them to come and check you out? 
Uh, I think my Instagram is probably the best. It's the most interactive. <clears throat> That's at Lloyd James Ross. Simple. Yeah. All right. So make sure, yep. guys, make sure you follow him at Lloyd James Ross if you're not already. And hey, guys, if you've enjoyed this episode, episode number nine of the podcast, make sure you take a screenshot of this, share it to your Instagram story, tag Lloyd's page at, uh, at Lloyd James Ross, tag my page at Daniel G. Marshall, and share the message as well. But Lloyd, thank you so much for coming here today, for being my very first guest on Money Mastery with Marshy. And I'm sure we'll have to do some more episodes in the future and unpack a few other things. My pleasure. Mate, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Well done, everything you're doing. Awesome. And uh, yeah, go get it. All right. Cheers, Lloydie. All right. Stopped. Shit, mate. Thank you for investing your time and energy in today's episode of Money Mastery with Marshy. If you enjoyed this episode, if you received value from this episode, then click the subscribe button so you can be the first to know when new episodes drop. I look forward to speaking with you in the next episode.